um, Christmas has lots of stories and lots of memories. And um, the stories that we have about Christmas, many of them are family. You know, I remember um, being in church. I was raised in church. Um, and I know I've said this before, but it's kind of funny. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. <laughs> I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, <laughs> drugged to church on Sunday night, <laughs> drugged to church on Wednesday night, you know. We were in church all the time. And, uh, and uh, it was, and most of my life is, is either about the farm or about church. And so we're grateful for the experience of being in church. And if we don't put something good in our life, where do we expect good to come from? You know, the goodness that we think of in our society, where do we find it? Where do we find good? And I mean, there are good people who do good things, but where does the goodness come from that's inside of us? Is it just something we pick up along the way? Is it something we inherit? Is it something we learn? Well, the scripture is the foundation of that which is good. It is called the good news. And the good news is that there's something greater to ourselves than just us. There's something greater about who we are than what we can do. So we know that we will go to school for some, so many years and graduate, get a job, go in the workforce, Hopefully, you know, whatever, if you plan to get married, have children, have a family, you know, uh, go bald, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, those types of things, and, and life will be over. And what is it that's going to last? What is it that's going to make a difference? And we sometimes like to go into fields of service that will make a difference in people's lives, and you know, and whatever those are, it, it just varies with everyone's calling. But I think that God has given to us a very special gift, and the gift is you. The gift that God has given to you is you. And that if we spend time trying to think or compare ourselves to someone else, that, boy, I wish I had their life, I wish I had their um, income, I wish I had their job, I wish I was like them, I wish I had their talents. All we're doing is uh, making no progress, spinning our wheels. The idea is if you were, if you did have what somebody else had, it wouldn't fit you. It would be a burden to you. Your life would be a burden if you were somebody else. So your life individually has been created for you. And before, you know, why weren't you born 2,000 years ago? Why weren't you born 500 years ago? Why weren't you born in Africa or in Central America? You know, you're, you are here for a purpose. And our life has meaning and our life has a purpose because you, we have come to this point in time and God has an intersection here for us. You know, and recognizing the intersection that we are in, it is not an intersection uh, by chance. It is an intersection, I think, and I believe by divine providence. That God has brought us to a special point in time here and now for a very special reason. And it is to convey to us 
that we have value, not because of what we do, but because of who we are, and that we have a place in our family, we have a place in our society, we have a place in a church, in the body of Christ. We have a place. And that place and that reason that we are here is, is for a specific purpose. You know, last week um, I spoke about, uh, have any of you tried it, you know, with John in his gospel, he addressed uh, Jesus and he is known as the gospel, the, 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 the disciple whom Jesus loved. And um, when Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come because Lazarus was sick, they said, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus is sick. And I ask us if we would pray, and when we pray, say, Jesus, the one you love, me, David, is, this is a need. This is something I want to bring to you. Anybody did that? Yeah. Did it, did it, what, what did it feel like? You know? For me, it was like, it was kind of like stopping. It was like, uh, you know, you had to pause. Because you, you usually, you, you know, you pray and you go, hey, you know, hey God, hey, 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 you know. <laughs> uh, it's me, you know, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And <clears throat> what we do is we stop that normal thought process of what we consider our prayers. And we stop that to interject how much God loves us. Before we do anything, we, we recognize that God is in love with you. God is in love with us. And that he doesn't, he doesn't have, his, his attention is not divided. He's not worried about the failures and mistakes like we are. You know, if, if failures and mistakes were a problem, we'd all be, we'd all be in the place where the sun don't shine. And uh, God isn't worried about our doubts and he isn't worried about our mistakes and our failures because he's already died to take away those sins and those failures. And so when he comes to take away our sins and our failures, he's come to establish a kingdom in our own lives where we, where we have the presence of God. We have the presence of God. You see, what we do in church we have the text this evening, is in, and it came to pass in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or all the world should be taxed. So here is a historic event. We have a historic event that we read about, but the, the characters in this story, one of them is eternal. From eternity past to eternity future. And we have a story about how that Christ has come, that, and, and it's so amazing, and I think of it in, in the context that before there was creation, before there was the thought of the world, God knew that man would fail, man would sin, and God says, I'll, Jesus, the, part of the Godhead says that I will be the sacrifice for the sin. Before there was ever a sin, Jesus set himself to be the sacrifice. Now, if sin were a problem, and, and sin were something that were un, unconquerable, God probably would have never made the place. <laughs> he would have never made us. And, but he made us with the ability to make choices, and he made us with the ability to understand something, not only in our consciousness, but to understand something in our soul, 
to understand something in the depths of our being, that we have a value, that we have um, an importance that is greater than anything that we can imagine. So here we are on this place called Earth, in this little town called Winber, in this community of believers called a church. And we are here in a place where we are talking about the eternal God being birthed in the life of us, but being birthed in Bethlehem. And so God has a purpose. God has a gift. God has a calling. God has a power. His power is that which resides in our hearts and our lives. And when Caesar Augustus, the world should be, should be registered. It's, again, interesting that Caesar Augustus, why would he, why do, you know, I, I would think of this, he has the world, all the world should be taxed. So, you know, the Roman Empire, basically at this time, is at its height. It, it goes from Britain to, I don't know what the town was or the country area was. It basically was ruler over the then known world. Daniel Uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 44, Daniel predicts that in those days, the kings of the fourth monarchy, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, what's the fourth monarchy? The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians and the Romans. In the fourth monarchy, there will come this guy, there will be this virgin that will have a a child. And Quirinius, the governor, he doesn't, you know, it isn't so much that he wants to have all this money from the taxation, he wants to know how many people are in his, in his uh, kingdom so that it gives him more authority and more oomph, strength as a, as a leader. And so here is Mary and Joseph in the wrong place because they're not in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's where the, Jesus is to be born. And what happens is... <laughs> Quirinius, this guy, this governor, makes a decree because he wants to know how, how powerful he is and he wants everybody to go back to their home village and be taxed. And, and what he is doing for his own glory, he ends up fulfilling the will of God. See, the, the reason I, I, I emphasize that is sometimes people do things that we don't like and puts us and places us in situations that we think, or just makes, makes a mess of everything. And how do we know that that's not the hand of God moving our life? <laughs> moving us in, in a way that we will be at a certain place at a certain time so that we can receive the blessing that God wants to give. <laughs> so, so all went to, the, to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You see, there was a prophet named Micah who said, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be, to be ruler in Israel. So here is these, see, this is the thing about the scripture. We, don't, we, we just don't have Jesus showing up at, you know, 2,000 years ago on a scene. We have Jesus being predicted, Jesus being told that there is a Messiah coming. From, from the garden, there is this declaration that the, that the God will step on the head of the snake, the serpent. He, he will crush his head, but he bruises heel. And, 
from that, ver- from that picture onward, we have a picture of a Messiah, someone who's coming to be the Redeemer, someone who is, Micah talks about it, Isaiah talks about it, hundreds of years before the coming of a Messiah, they, they talk about it. They are telling as if, as if it were going to happen tomorrow. You know, they're reading tomorrow's newspaper headings today. Well, they were reading about and talking about a Messiah that would come and how, that he, would be li- how he would live and where he would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. And, you know, how that he would die and, and, and his crucifixion and all the things that would take place. The scripture outlines all of those things and then comes Jesus at the appointed time. And he comes to save us from our sin. You know, and our sin is, is our failures, our mistakes. Sometimes we say, you know, um, well, I'll just let him go. You know, I gotta forget about him. Everybody makes mistakes. And that's true. And we can't allow our mistakes to continue to haunt us. But the one, <laughs> the, the purpose of redemption is that when Christ forgives us, that our lives are completely clean. There's no trace of that sin. You know, on one side of my papers is lots of stuff. On the other side, there's nothing. No, that's not a blank screen in my mind. That's on the paper. <laughs> okay. But uh, what, what happens when Christ forgives us, all of, this goes, all of the mistakes go away. Because the blood of Christ is that which forgives us, and the forgiveness of Christ is so complete that every sin, every failure of our life is completely gone. Now, we can do what, what God cannot. We can remember our sin. And God chooses to forgive us of our sins so that our past does not continue to dictate that we continue to, re- to commit again the same sin. You think about people who, wow, well, you know what, I'm going to clean up my life. We're gonna, in another week, we're going to have New Year's resolutions. And they're going to last mm, 24 hours, <laughs> a week, <laughs> two weeks. The, the ability for us to clean up our act doesn't work. The ability for God to change a life is the foundational principle of, of, of life. I, I think of um, one of the groups that we have. Uh, it's called Teen Challenge, and it's a drug and alcohol. It's not just for teens. It started out many years ago basically functioning, fo- focusing on teens, but it is a program that deals with drug, alcohol, abuse, and people who are addicted. And the success rate, this was studied by the government, the success rate was 80%. 80% of the people who, 10 years later, are clean. And the places that are done by, you know, our society and intervention and things, 10 years, one out of 100, 1% are clean. And the government came to the leaders of the Teen Challenge, which is all over the world now, and they came to the leaders and said, we will pay everything for you. We will buy anything you need. We will give you money to take care of our problems that we have. We will pay you everything, but you have to stop using God in, the, in your program. Well, of course, God is the center of it. And you see, whenever we start thinking of Christ as being the center He's the center of our life, and whenever Mary conceives and receives this in her heart, and I think of it as when the Word, when the word of God, which is eternal, enters into our heart, and there are promises there, when the promises 
touch our life and they're born in us. It's conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of us. You know that I'm loved by God. <laughs> I'm forgiven by God. That's, that's a truth that God has to birth in, in our hearts, not in our, in our heads. Our heads can understand it, but our hearts take hold of it to affect how we think and feel and do. So, Mary is, has, a, has a child, and the baby is born in Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, there's no room, no room in the inn, kind of symbolic of humanity, not having room for, for God. And there's no room for them in the end, and she, she, the baby is born, and she wraps him in swaddling clothes. <laughs> I remember that as a kid growing up in church. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. What's swaddling clothes? <laughs> I found out about a few years ago. <laughs> They're nice little rags <laughs> that are laying around a stable, I think. And this morning, I, I, I spoke about the poverty of, of Mary. You know, Mary, in, in her Magnifica, that she, she talks about herself as a lowly servant, uh, meaning that not only is she poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth, not only is she poor in spirit, but she's poor as a person, as a family. They are very poor. And in the one commentary talked about how her poverty was not only that she was poor and her family was poor, but she was kind of the least of her family, the outcast of her family. And so Mary did not look at herself as being this outcast and go, woe is me and God doesn't like me and look what's wrong with me and look how bad I got it. No, she would find herself, I think, because she knew a lot about the Messiah. She knew a lot about what was going on. She would find herself at the temple, she wasn't allowed inside the church, inside the temple. She'd have to listen outside to the rabbis and them talking, and she would hear them talk. But inside of her, there was this desire to please God and to love God. And God, the angel says, Mary, you're highly favored. <laughs> highly favored means, grace means unmerited favor. God's grace is to us. And um, highly favored. Think of it this way. God's grace is given to each one of us. He has grace and mercy for us. It is impossible for God to have a negative thought about you. So that means we're highly favored. We are highly favored by God that he wants to do, conceive his word in our life that we might find forgiveness and we might find strength and we might find a desire to live a life that would be pleasing to him that would fulfill what, I, what we were created for. <laughs> and see, we were created for many different things. You know, we were created for many different things. You know, not so narrow-minded as to think, all of you are going to be missionaries to Africa. <laughs> you know, it's a night preacher. <laughs> but uh, all of us are going to be people who are part of the body of Christ. And each of us have different ministries. Well, so after, the, after Mary has her child and after that she wraps her babe in swaddling clothes and wraps them in strips of rags laying around the stable, you know, I often thought, well, why wasn't she more prepared? Why didn't her mother send her some clothes for that baby? 
<laughs> yeah. How many grandmas are here? Huh? How many grandmas are here? Yeah. You would, what was the last thing? Take some clothes for that kid. <laughs> Don't you know enough? Take care of the clothes for that kid. So, but anyhow, she didn't. <laughs> and uh, they got, when they got their ra- rags and so on. Well, the angel appears to the shepherds. And one thing about the shepherds, the shepherds are, um, again, another commentary wrote that the shepherds are not ordinary shepherds. These shepherds that are watching these sheep that the angel went to, went to they are shepherds for watching the lambs who are for the temple sacrifices. These are the lambs that when it comes time for people to buy uh, a lamb to use in a sacrifice, these shepherds are shepherding those lambs, and it's to those shepherds that the angel appears. And the angel appears to them, and, and you know, sometimes the picture is up in heaven, you got these angels appearing, and they're looking up there. The one talks about it as, here are these shepherds standing around, and boom, there's this angel standing in between them. <laughs> There's this angel standing here, and there's, oh, and what's the angel say? Don't be afraid. When God brings to us his good news, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what God is going to say to us, and don't be afraid of the challenges that are before us, because if God calls us, he will enable us. So the shepherds are there, and they bring good news, and then suddenly there's a multitude of heavenly hosts, and there's angels all around, (laughs) among the sheep and among the shepherds and, and stand, and they're all singing praises to God and what happens, the, the shepherds go to Bethlehem and find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in rags and laying in a feed trough. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the king of kings and lord of lords, the God of heaven and earth, the the creator of heaven and earth who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life into man and made man a living soul. And here he is, come to earth to be with us, and he is in a feed trough wrapped in rags. That's how much God loves us. (laughs) That's how much he loves us. And so this Christmas, it's a Christmas season. It's going to be here. If you haven't bought your presents, you're out of luck. <laughs> we have some candy that's going on sale cheap tonight, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so when you think of God in that perspective, not only that he would, not only that he would come, but that he would come in such a way to lower himself to the lowest station in life so that no one no matter what their place in life can ever say, they were beneath Christ. No station in life, no poverty, no country, none of those are in a lower position than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who came to a poverty, a a teenage girl in a poverty place wrapped in rags, and laid in a feed trough because no one would make room for them. That's how the King of King came. The King of Kings came. And it's from there that he tells us that he loves us. He has a plan for our life. 
He has a purpose for us. And as we allow the gifts of Christmas, <laughs> the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ given for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Savior. God, you came to save us from our sins. That's why you loved us. You love us because you have a purpose in our life. And Lord, sometimes we get confused and sometimes we have questions and sometimes we get off track and sometimes, Lord, we just tear ourselves apart. None of those are you. For you have come to redeem us, to buy us back from our lostness. You have come to give us peace and come to give us hope, come to give us strength and life and love and peace and patience and gentleness and, Lord, a calling upon our life in which we'll be able to do the things we never thought possible. So, Lord, we thank you that you have come to be with us. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sin. We ask, Lord, as we open our hearts before you, Lord, we do not need to be afraid of you. Lord, we need to see you as one who loves us more than we will ever know. So, Jesus, we ask you to forgive us of our sin. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us. Conceive in us the eternal word that we are forgiven. You have a plan for our lives. And our name is written in your book of life. Thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sins. Amen? Amen.